You are on OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. We have a very exciting week lined up for you, getting into the, uh, the swing of these things. I, uh, I do want to encourage you to stick around. And a little bit later, we're going to have my friend Ellie Leibowitz on. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have some excellent programming happening this week. And I also want to let you know that the OU is running a Maus Chitin campaign. There is a staggering amount of need in our community. Uh, people are always this time of year in a particular place of need. And this year it is that much more dire. If you are interested in participating in the campaign, make your way to the OU.org website. But also if you're interested in sponsoring the show, your sponsorship will go straight to the Mauschitin campaign. So reach out OU live at OU.org. Uh, in the meantime, I'd like to introduce our next guest, Dr. Howard Goldschmidt. Dr. Howard Goldschmidt is, this is a long, he is a senior cardiologist at the Cleveland Clinic Valley Heart and Vascular Institute in Ridgewood, subspecializing in interventional echocardiography for diagnosis and minimally invasive treatment of valvular heart disease. But Dr. Goldschmidt, the reason you're here in particular is because you're also the president of the uh, American Committee for Shari Tzedek. Dr. Welcome. Hi, Rabbi Pardo. It's great to be here. It's amazing I, to I, have I you. I wish I wasn't here to discuss uh, Corona, but you know we've got to make the best of everything. Um, what can I tell you? <laughs> it's on everyone's minds. Might as well uh, dig more in. So uh, if we want to ignore Corona for a second, uh, I wouldn't mind getting to know a little bit about Shari Tzedek, uh, its history, your history, its history in Jerusalem. I know it's been there for a good long time and your history with it. So Shari Tzedek was founded about 100 years ago, or a little bit more than 100 years ago, uh, after money was raised by Jews in Frankfurt and Amsterdam. Uh, the first director general was uh, Dr. Moshe Wallach, who came from Germany and founded the hospital in the old building on Jaffa Road. Uh, the hospital has had just a handful of director generals since him, and it's been a very important job because each one has advanced the hospital uh, by leaps and bounds. My family, because uh, of our German Jewish origin, has been involved in the hospital for 60 years. My, both of my grandfathers were uh, deeply involved. One of my grandfathers was on the board. Another one of my grandfathers was a classmate in Germany of Dr. Schlesinger, who was the second director general. All the director generals were, were Yekis, were German Jews? Uh, no, just just the first uh, the first two. But uh, the, the uh, charter of the hospital said that the head of the hospital, either the director general or the president of the hospital would always be somebody who was an Orthodox Jew. Uh, it, was, it was chartered as a hospital under Orthodox auspices. And in fact, there are only two other hospitals in Israel that are under Orthodox auspices. Beaker Cholim in, in, uh, in well, North Beaker Jerusalem? Well, Beaker Cholim is now part of Sharet Tzedek. That's, oh. part, that's part of how Sharet Tzedek grew in the last 10 years. We absorbed Beaker Cholim and right now, the, the old Beaker Cholim site next to Mea Sharon is really mostly a maternity hospital. It has some outpatient services, but it's, it's uh, essentially a maternity hospital. And all of their inpatient uh, doctors and services were brought over to our main campus 
and buy it for Don. Amazing. Um, so this is not the first time the hospital has lived through a crisis of some sort. There have been, unfortunately, many crises in Jerusalem yeah. over the past century, although yeah, Corona is well, different. Well, we can, we can start during World War I when people don't know this, but during World War I, people in Jerusalem were starving. The, the, the Turks really cut the city off from food and all of Israel was starving. There was also a locust infestation. Uh, Dr. Wallach was able to uh, buy a few dairy cows and behind the hospital, he had a little dairy farm where he uh, obtained milk that he gave to all the children who were patients in the hospital and basically any other children that came to Sharet Tzedek uh, lunchtime would get milk from Dr. Wallach during World War One. Those are the pictures of the the milk the milk jugs in the hospital. I I don't know those pictures, but I, I would guess so. And, I, I've you know, seen those pictures. And one of the, one of the many places where the Turks surrendered to the British uh, was at Sharet Tzedek, and Dr. Wallach was there. Then you know, flash forward to 1948. Uh, the, the wounded were constantly being brought to Sharet Tzedek and were being tended to at Sharet Tzedek. Unfortunately, the, there was no place to bury the dead in Jerusalem, and Sharet Tzedek even established a small cemetery behind the hospital. And then uh, flash forward to- Is the it still there? What? Is the... There's, the cemetery is still behind the old uh, Jaffa Road building, diagonally behind it. It's, it's behind the fence. It's really not accessible unless you have permission to enter. Wow. And then, uh, we, you know, Sharet Tzedek took care of Jerusalem during the three intifadas. Our, our trauma center was, uh, was known for being great and swift and, and wonderful at, at, at saving lives. Of course, some people died. My, my first year working at Sharet Tzedek was in the last intifada that they called the, the stabbing intifada. And I, I remember being down on the, on the ground floor when uh, ambulances would come and I would see our, our director general, who was then the head of the trauma unit, Professor Marine, rushing into the trauma center. So Corona is not the first crisis, but it's certainly unique. In what ways it is, is it unique? In what ways has Sharet Tzedek um, shifted to accommodate the new health crisis? Well, we've, we've never had to deal with an epidemic of this proportion, and no one in the world has had to deal with an epidemic of this proportion. But, you know, we, we are prepared for it. Uh, you know, the, Professor Marine, who I just mentioned, is also a colonel in the IDF, and he's been the head of uh, the IDF's field hospital that went to the Philippines and to uh, Haiti for the natural disasters. The World Health Organization has cited the IDF field hospital as being one of the best in the world. And uh, Professor Marine is, is involved deeply with the World Health Organization. So he is accustomed to dealing with the types of natural disasters and emergencies, which have some analogy to uh, the current vi virus situation. Uh, the health ministry just came to Sharet Tzedek this week to check things out and said that we were better prepared than any other hospital uh, in Israel, which is good because we are now in, the, unfortunately, the top three of hospitals caring for COVID patients in terms of numbers of patients that we're caring for. And what does it mean to be prepared? Meaning, how, what, has, what does that mean for the hospital? Does it mean increasing the number of beds or? They, they, they basically cleared out some, some wards. They set up three separate wards. Each ward has 20 patients. Each ward is 
uh, sealed off and has uh, a glass door that leads into the ward uh, so that the nurses can watch from outside the and, and not have to spend too much time in contact with the patients because aside from taking care of the patients, we have to protect our precious nursing and, and medical staff. Uh, we have uh, rooms in between the, the glass door and the nursing station where the medication is brought in and, some, and the patients who are well enough to come out actually bring the medication in and help distribute it to the, to the other patients, uh, the less sick ones. Of course, the nurses are back and forth all day, but we, we've used some of the less sick patients to help with the patient care. And during the first few weeks of the epidemic, in, when we just had one of the wards, uh, there was incredible camaraderie between the patients within the ward. Uh, yesterday, I spoke to uh, one of the nurses there, and this is a terrific story. Her name is Rachel Gamara. She was an oncology nurse who volunteered to uh, work in the, uh, in the COVID ward as soon as it opened. And that's different from most hospitals where nurses had to be assigned to taking care of corona patients. And she told me this heartbreaking story of, of the first death in Israel from uh, the virus. It was a uh, Holocaust survivor. Uh, named uh, Aryeh Evan, and he had been in the unit for a week, for a week or more, uh, and was slowly getting worse. But he still had a good personality, and he was still uh, talking. And he and all of the other patients there loved him. And and sadly, uh, the moment that he was dying, and he was, you know, passing into the next world, he was surrounded not by his family, because in no hospital in the world are family allowed next to these patients. He was surrounded by all of his new friends who he had made in this ward. And that's, that's the type of story that happens at Sharet Sedek all the time. The camaraderie between patients is not unique to COVID? Yes, the, I've, I've seen times where where I, I've walked into uh, some of the older hospital rooms have three beds in the room and you'll have uh, uh, two Israeli men and, and one Arab man and, and they'll all be chatting away and uh, that's, that, that's normal. And you know, Israelis, when they meet each other in the hospital, they, they all always have someone in common, even, you know, even if it's, it's, it's a Yemenite Israeli and, a, and, a, and an Ashkenazi who, who comes from Tel Aviv and the, the phrase that they always use is kibbutz galiyot, the ingathering of the exiles. And you know that Israel is one big family. You mentioned earlier, and I I wanted to ask more about COVID, but you mentioned when I started working at Shari Sedek, but my uh, my impression is that you work here in North Jersey. Right. At Valley, right? So can you, 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 you work there, you work so, there? For the last five years, I've been, spending the month of February there uh, every year, volunteering as a cardiologist uh, in the Jesselson Heart Center at the hospital. And I'm very lucky that I was able to arrange that. Uh, it, it, I had started visiting the hospital when I was vacationing in Israel years before. I would stop in, I would sit in on their fantastic uh, coronary care unit morning conference uh, and as, as, as long ago as maybe 16 years ago. And I always wanted to have something to do with the hospital and cardiology. 
And uh, as, as time went on and I visited more and more, I got to know people there. And uh, the last chief of cardiology, I sat down with him and I told him what I wanted to do. At that time, I called it a mini sabbatical. And he said, there's no reason you can't do it, let's go. And he walked me down six flights of stairs to the personnel office, introduced me to uh, the nice lady who helped me get a temporary uh, medical license. And uh, less than a year later, I was there. And this preceded your, your term as presidency. Right, I, I became president uh, just uh, in July of 2019. And you're spending about a month a year, you said? A month a year. I, I, I spend almost a full month between February and March, and then I'm there usually in the spring and in the fall. Uh, I'll stop by and work there for one or two days just to just to catch up with people and, 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 and stay in touch with, with my colleagues there. So tell me, what have you learned from your Israeli colleagues that you haven't from or wouldn't from your American colleagues? How are the how are the doctors? How is medical practice in Israel different? Well, I, I don't know that much about medical practice in Israel. I know a lot about medical practice in cardiology at Sharet Tzedek. Mm -hmm. and, and I can tell you that, that they have a, a, a fantastic team in cardiology. And for a number of reasons, uh, the, the doctors there tend to have many more years of training than uh, their counterparts elsewhere in the world. They, they usually do five years of internal medicine before doing uh, cardiology, which, which is different from the US where it's usually three years of internal medicine. They do a full cardiology fellowship of three or four years in Israel. And then most of them go to uh, either Europe, Canada, or the US and do another two years of extra training. So these are really super skilled cardiologists with great training. Because they spend so many years training there, the team is used to working with each other. There's not that much turnover. So everybody knows everyone else's strengths and weaknesses and uh, it, the, the teamwork is, is fantastic. And every day in the morning, there's a conference spending a whole hour going over uh, the complicated patients that are in, this, in the hospital for the last few days, the ones that came in the night before, uh, back and forth discussions, arguments, and a lot of decisions are not made by just one doctor. They'll be made at that conference in the morning. How is, um, I, know, I know testing is very different in Israel and in America. I know there, there's so many different ways Israelis are treating the response to Corona differently than Americans. Can you speak to that? Why, yes. why is that? Well, Israel started uh, the quarantine much earlier than everyone else. And they, the, their initial approach was to try to hospitalize all the initial cadre of patients who were positive for the virus in order to contain the virus. But uh, after a while, that the virus still spread. But I think that initial containment helped. Uh, right now, Israel is not anywhere near uh, ex accelerating as fast as uh, the other countries that have suffered from the virus. Uh, the, the testing works differently. If somebody is sick, uh, they call Magandavid Adom, the ambulance service, uh, and, and tell their symptoms and their story. Uh, an infectious disease doctor hears the story and uh, decides whether it sounds like it's the virus. The paramedics then go to the patient's house or apartment 
and swab the patient right there, and they stay uh, in quarantine until the results come back. So th that that's that's done a lot to help contain uh, the, the infection. And uh, I think Israelis are doing a good a good job with social distancing, except for some areas that, of course, we all know about, uh, which uh, are lagging behind. Yeah, hope, hopefully improving. So as the as a president, not as the cardiologist who does many sabbaticals, but as the president, what's your what's your role at Shari Tzedek? What do you do there? Uh, well, as as a pre in the United States, my role is uh, a I'm a spokesperson. I'm, I do what I'm doing right now. I sometimes go to uh, synagogues and, and address them and talk about Shari Tzedek. B I uh, I, I attend board, board meetings. I'm involved with uh, running running the uh, uh, the charitable collection organization. Of course, we have a, a fantastic full-time professional staff uh, headed by uh, Rachel Wolf, our CEO. But I, you know, I I give my input, uh, and uh, then then there's what I do in Israel, which is uh, you know doing cardiology at the hospital. When I'm there, I, I'm always uh, getting tours of new departments so that when I come back to the U.S., I can speak with firsthand experience about what goes on there. You know, I've, I've, I've visited their neonatal ICU uh, and, and toured around there, so I have a good understanding of, of what, what a fantastic program they have in, in that department. And what, what has been the financial impact of the coronavirus on Shari Zedek? Well, first of all, Sharet Sedek is, is not supported by the government to the extent that most other hospitals are because it's officially a, a charitable organization and a private hospital. So all along, Sharet Sedek has gotten much less uh, funding from the government. It's not funded by the state. It's not funded by a municipality to the degree that other hospitals are. Some of the other hospitals are also owned by Kupat Cholim, the health maintenance organizations. So Sharet Sedek has always had to raise its own its own uh, income. Uh, a lot of the income from Shari Tzedek comes from their outpatient clinics, uh, which uh, actually uh, uh, cost a lot more for patients and for Kupat Chulim than other clinics, but everybody's will it wants to go there because their specialists are so outstanding. So what's happened with the viral epidemic is the outpatient clinics have shut down and that's almost 50% of the hospital's revenue, which is a big hit to the hospital. Now, what, what we're anticipating, unfortunately, is a surge in the virus in the next month and a half. Uh, right now, the hospital has 50 ventilators on site uh, that, that, that are usable. Uh, the Ministry of Health came this week and met with uh, the uh, executives of the hospital, the top doctors, and. Uh, uh, told them that the projection is that they may need a few hundred ventilators uh, after the peak of the surge in May, because on these patients, uh, when they have respiratory failure, stay on a ventilator for uh, 10 days, two weeks, and even longer. So we're going to be accumulating patients on ventilators. As you, as everyone's read, a ventilator costs $50,000, and that's that's a lot of money. The, the state is going to help us with the ventilators, but we need all the other equipment to build a new ICU to take care of these patients. And what we want to do to protect our staff is we want to put in a lot of remote monitoring equipment 
TV cameras, microphones, uh, so that uh, the, the staff is protected from the virus while they're taking care of the patients. And all of this is gonna require a lot of funding. We, we've gotten a lot of donations from within Israel, but we need donations from the US too. I know this is a, a terrible time to be asking people for donations because people's own income is threatened by the, the, this virus. But there are people who still have some disposable income and I'm hoping we can get some donations. I have uh, the addresses behind me. It's acsz.org slash corona. That's American Committee for Sharetzedek.org slash corona. Uh, and we'd appreciate any help we can get. Doctor, I was going to ask where we can find you, and then you're right. That That is the address. So acsz.org slash corona. Doctor, thank you for sharing these stories, and thanks for sharing your time. My pleasure. You are on OU Live. My name is Rabbi David Pardo. I did want to let you know about a couple of events that are coming up at the OU. Um, there's an event. Uh, called Spirit for Retirees. You can find out more at oe.org slash community. And there is a, another, or, another event being put out this week by the Women's Initiative for Families and Learning How to Cope. You can find out more at oe.org slash women slash cope. Um, did want to let you know about our most Chitin campaign and that any, uh, any sponsorship of the show will go straight towards helping families in need. I wanted to give a big shout out to our next guest, one Ellie Leibowitz. Ellie Leibowitz is many things to many people, but most of all, he's a comedian. Ellie, you there? I'm here. He's not just a comedian. He's a comedian who's living through coronavirus. And I don't mean the way I am. <laughs> so my living... angle? Huh? My angle? Your angle? I'm a comedian living through coronavirus. I, I, I would put that on a card. Okay. You, how'd your AMA go? Um, it went okay. I, I think you should clarify um, that, that rather than I'm like, because we're all living through this whole situation, but I, I think I actually have the symptoms like as of last week, which not to scare anyone, because thank God I'm, I'm doing okay. I mean, you'll hear me cough a couple times maybe hopefully only a couple of times during the, during this conversation, but uh, thank God, you know, considering I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing some virtual shows, but I, I don't have um, any taste or smell. Um, I told my wife, I said, oh, I, yeah, I, I said, about, I was like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I don't think I have any smell. And she says, I know you have to take a shower. And that's, that's how it's going. I was thinking it was going to be like you never had any taste, Ellie. Please. Oh, nice. That's that's even more uh, even more cynical. Uh, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe I'm just projecting my the own my own life that I lived through. I'm liking the earpiece, the Secret Service situation. You know. Thank you, thank you. I've been using one that's on Bluetooth, and it uh, it just scares me. Anything that I have to rely on, another thing falling apart. But yeah, also I'm I'm living out my childhood dream of pretending to be a security individual. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so nothing nothing like following a very serious uh, doctor situation and then have a comedian, right? <laughs> it, was a, it was a tasteless pairing, if you will. 
Thank heard you. you. Thank you. So, <laughs> so, uh, so tell me, you went, uh, you went public last week about having coronavirus. Well, I posted it on Twitter. You posted I on Twitter. I say Twitter is pretty public. What's what? Twitter. And you asked, you asked for people to. I mean, I thought this was very nice. I wanted to destigmatize. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty wild. I made, you know, I, okay, I'm not in the shoes, but when people get it and they won't tell people, so um, good of you to let people know. What was the um, weirdest question anyone asked you when you solicited questions? I said, what's your favorite baseball movie? <laughs> it's like, that seems unrelated. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think a lot of people were like, how do you, most people were like, how do you know? And again, I haven't gotten tested. It's very difficult, I think, to get tested. And also, um, I mean, I have, I had most of the symptoms. Oh, last week I, I had a fever, I had chills and then I, and then I uh, woke up and then on Tuesday, I lost my sense of smell and taste, which would have really scared me if I didn't realize hear that that was one of the symptoms. Like, I think that like idiot basketball player that uh, licked all the microphones lost his sense of taste. So I guess that's me to connect and meet up for doing that. Um, uh, but I, and then I have a cough and I had like some body aches. So um, other than that, I, I, that was, those were pretty much all the, most of the symptoms. And I just figured, that there's a lot of fear going on um, with this whole situation. Everybody's very scared, rightfully so. Um, I just figured if people could hear from someone who has it and um, is doing, I mean, doing relatively okay. You know, I, I feel a little bit weaker and a little more lethargic, but I can have a conversation. <coughs> and that's, I've been coughing a lot. Um, but other than that, I'm, uh, I'm doing okay. I hope you're social distancing as well, Ellie. Uh, yeah, I haven't left anywhere, uh, hence the lack of shower. No, um, I, I haven't gone anywhere in more than a week. Uh, so uh, all that stir craziness, that cabin fever, uh, it's going to be a very interesting Pesach. That's all I'm saying. Everybody's, everybody, but like, honestly, I don't know, better be bored and going out of our, our minds a little bit with like you know stress than to be unhealthy <laughs> so you're still doing shows right i'm still doing yeah i'm still still doing shows virtually um which is a whole challenge in itself like doing zoom comedy because you can't have too many people unmuted or else the audio messes up and you so you can't sometimes people will mute everybody and then you really are like talking to yourself for like half an hour um but i really feel like people are is really that hard because you don't get the laughs or because you like to interact um mostly the, the laps that I, I mean, I don't do too like a crazy amount of crowd work normally, but I, I normally, you want to, you, you need the like, hey, here's a joke, laugh. Here's a joke, laughter. So people are muted. You're just like, all right, I guess this is good. This is bad. I don't know. I mean, it's a little more freeing. You can kind of try things and just be like, all right, like this works. Like I've been doing a lot of school uh, shows for like staff at schools. And I can tell they really need it. I mean, everybody really needs comedy right now because I think in our new society, uh, laughter and toilet paper are going to be the new forms of currency. So uh, it's, but I can tell teachers really, really, really need it. Um, and it, whatever, but like it's, it, it, tonight I just did a show for a school uh, in Florida um, and they they were really appreciative. They're a really nice crowd. And um, I, it's, it's a good chance to write like new jokes and just like, I think everybody needs a little bit of a distraction. So I'm not talking about this thing itself, but I'm talking about 
you know, how are our new challenging every, everybody's on zoom. Like, you know, who knew we should have invested in zoom this whole time. And, uh, it's, you know, it's pretty incredible that teachers and, and a lot of schools have really stepped up and just been like, Hey, this whole thing that you do in person, you're just going to do that online now, which is kind of incredible. It's, it's incredible that they think that it's easy, that easy to, to transfer. Well, it's not just that. It's that especially teachers I had growing up would not have been able to figure out Zoom. They couldn't even figure out the video card with the, like the TV on it, you know, where you're like, oh, it's going to be a video to watch. Great. It's only a 45 minute video, but it's going to take two hours for them to figure out how to use it. So the fact that the fact that teachers are like all teachers are just like, all right, you're teaching your classes on Zoom. And I wonder if like the challenges has got to be hard because te- kids pr- still probably like have the same lies where they're just like, uh, I have to go to the bathroom. And you're like, I see you playing Xbox right now in front of me. Like, I, I know you're, so it's got to so be. I'm actually watching both sides of this because my, my kids are in school on Zoom and my wife teaches on Zoom. Um, and it is, yeah. it's, I'll tell you the, the, the happiest thing for her is the ability to mute the entire class in one fell swoop, just one button. Right. And if they <laughs> had that in real life. Yeah, right. So I don't know if anyone's going to really want to go back to real class, real teaching when you have this, uh, these sorts of magical powers. Sure. No, I, I definitely, I mean, I, well, I wonder if like, cause there gotta be kids who it's gotta be very challenging for kids to like learn anything. And I wonder, I mean, this potentially may go on for months, which is going to be very hard, but also I wonder if there are some kids who are just going to like have some gaps in knowledge where they don't really are. They're just like a, one subject is just not covered in their, in their lives. And then they're going to like go through life. And then one day they're going to be at their job and, you know, they're beginning a meeting and somebody will be like to them. So yeah, for just like a fraction of the cost, we can get these supplies. And the guy's going to be like, what's a fraction? And uh, that was a joke, but- Corona, like, Corona. <laughs> a hit by Corona. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you could just like have like, oh, I'm sorry. I, I It's like for me, like, you know, I missed like part of my junior year. So I have no idea what happened after the civil war and before world war one. And just American history, I just like that that gap of knowledge. I'm just like reconstruction. I don't know. You right. You could go to YouTube and do crash course world history, but no. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna just. It's gotta remain this way. If I ever read Edward on Jeopardy, they're gonna ask me, you know, '90s baseball and like Old Testament and not what happened in the 1890s. <laughs> One hopes. You know the Simpsons where they um, they move and they're they're in like this new school. And they ask Bart, like, oh, you're in the fourth grade. And they're just going through the things that he doesn't know. And they're like, Bart, do you, do you know cursive? And he says, I know of cursive. And you're not going to, uh, I thought you were going to, I think it goes a lot worse than that, but we're not going to publicly. Uh, um, this is a yeah, kids a, program, Ellie. I was going to say. This is family friendly. Unlike The Simpsons, which, which, we, which I watched as a kid and it really helped define my sense of humor. Um, by the way, parenting also is just there. I, th- I said the biggest foresight the rabbis had was knowing that we would need four cups of wine that first say that the pregnant pace all started. <laughs> and that was before this year. Um, but like, I feel like parenting is just really difficult with, you know, I have a toddler of a two year old and he's just, you know, I, mo- before I feel like parenting a toddler was just like, you know, you like you have a few minutes to yourself on the couch, you're like, on your phone and then all of a sudden you hear a weird noise and you just like turn and you're like, careful. 
and you go back to your phone. And uh, that's got to be what, what, it's hard, what it's like now, right? Something like that. So Ellie, you, yeah. you're a Jewish guy and you're funny. Thank you. And you, but unlike most Jewish guys who are funny, you then decided to connect the dots and take the next step and actually do comedy on a professional level. Yeah. How, how'd you make that jump? Um, when I went to YU, um, some friends of mine were starting, they did a uh, comedy contest, like a, like a, almost like a talent show comedy contest. Uh, it was a fundraiser for Camp Hask. And they were like, anybody that wants to be involved, do it. Uh, they had about 10, 11 people the first time. Uh, the first time I did it, it was terrible. It didn't go very well. The second year they had it, I won it. And the third year I had it, I should have won it, but I won the popular vote. So uh, it was, uh, that's that's really how I started doing it. Which is a joke you've been making since then, but only started making sense in 2016. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, I used to also say about, uh, I said when, you know, there's six questions you could ask when you go up to Shemayim, and one of them is, were you anticipating Mashiach coming? And I was going to say, yeah, I was a Cubs fan. And uh, that joke isn't funny anymore since 2016. So, um, yeah, some some things have have, have died. Uh, I, yeah, so, <coughs> excuse me, I started doing it in NYU a little bit more, and then I started realizing that, you know, um, I just started doing these shows called bringer shows where you do like at a comedy club, you bring like, you know, 10 people or something and you get like a few minutes of stage time. And, and then I started doing more Jewish oriented shows. Cause I just realized there's so much material about Judaism and it just comes easy to me. That's what I think about. Like, I just, I, 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 you know, I went to Jewish day school my entire life and I sometimes don't know what non-Jews like think about, like, like, do non-Jews even own a crockpot? Like, why would they? I, or play board games? I mean, it's now everybody does, but um, before this. Um, so, yeah, I very much, like, have this, you know, uh, Jewish mindset, and I just think in Jewish terms. And uh, sometimes I, I think that if I, I think a lot of my jokes during Shishman Esrei, and I, I worry that God's going to get all me to connect and me down me, and next time I'm on stage, he's going to make me think of Shishman Esrei. And um, one day, one day. <laughs> One day, one day, I'm gonna be like, uh, oh, shoot. Um, have you ever have you performed in front of non-Jews? I have. I, um, I, <coughs> I mean, my, <coughs> I would say my my bread and butter, my wheelhouse is uh, mostly Orthodox Orthodox Jewish rooms, but or Jews in general that have a little bit of a background. Um, but I've done like corporate shows at holiday parties, um, which are interesting. Uh, those are always tough anyway. Like. Any comedian will tell you that doing corporate shows are really tough because like I performed at a, an event for like a CEO of a company and like 10 employees at his house. And it was like the, it was like the closest to like a jester performed before the king. And people are like, how did it go? I was like, I almost got beheaded. Uh, it's, I, I do, I do some shows. I mean, I do, like I said, when I, when I was in college and a little bit after that, I did shows at comedy clubs. You can't really get up on stage at a comedy club in New York and be like, hey, so Kiddush Shavana, am I right? Um, but I just, I, right, at this point, I've just really developed an act for mostly Jewish audiences. And that's really only my strength um, because Judy, Orthodox Judaism is so much a part of your life, your, your li our lives that like, you know, wake up, right? right shoe on left shoe left shoe right shoe, uh, you know tie your left shoe right shoe and then just like every single aspect of your life you always have to be focused on what time it is 
like, did I daven? Did I bench? Did I say a bracha? Is it Shabbos? Is it a holiday? Is it, so, is it Kiddush Havana? Like every single thing, you always have to like be aware of time. And it's just, if you're an Orthodox Jew and you're just like, a lot of it is so much a part of your life. Like you can't just like think normally, like, cause you're just like, is this kosher? Is this whatever? So every, every aspect has to be thinking about Judaism, I think. Um, yeah. So that's, why are, why are Jews funny? Jews were all over vaudeville. Jews were all over radio. Jews were all over Hollywood. Um, like completely outclassed, uh, overrepresented as comedians. What's the deal? I mean, I think uh, most people tell you it's probably a, co a coping mechanism um, that the world has been really hard for Jews. Um, if you've read books um, or know things or seen any Mel Brooks movie. Uh, it's just I went through three quarters of high school, so even the part that I missed was you know. There you go. <coughs> 1890s uh, it was uh, no, but it, <coughs> I think the world has been very tough in general for Jews, and it's just one of those things that Jews don't have a have a like a, a defeatist attitude to give up, so we have to persevere. But the only way to really persevere is to like things are so things are so bad. There's a way to react to it. You can say like, oh, this is never going to get better. Nothing's going to ever happen any better. Um, or you could say, okay, this is what the situation is. I'm going to make a joke about it and try to cope in that way. Um, I think it's, 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 a hope it's a hope mentality a little bit that, that even when things are, are, are rough, that like they could get better. And I actually think being a Cubs fan, I would say, used to be like, I would say it's very similar to being Jewish because you're just like the hope that even when things aren't great now one day they'll get better and it, you know the cubs slogan is, is used to be wait till next year which is literally like what shana habab but um so i think that it's a it's a coping idea in addition to um jews it's a, it's, it's also an intelligent thing i think i think when it comes uh, i think it's uh, you know jews you know we're, we're people of the book which is a lot more popular expression uh, that we're known as rather than people that have glasses but uh, we're, we're people of the book and we're, we're intelligent. And I think it's a very quick, uh, a lot of Jewish humor I would say is very clever. And that's just one of the many ways that we have to kind of get through tough times. And, that, and that's also why I think what's, I, I've been doing a lot of these virtual shows because I think a lot of people are just you know, stressed out, anxious, nervous. And that's just about Pesach, not even about the situation. And, and they need some sort of you know, thing to deflate the balloon of tension that they have. And humor is a really great way to do that. Are you going interesting places that you haven't been before in this uh, this new virtual era? Well, I'm staying in my house, but uh, am, am I in terms of yeah? Well, what's what's interesting? Like I said, it's a little bit more free because I, I'm trying things. Because normally, I, I if I try a joke and it doesn't get a laugh, I'm like, all right, that joke's not good or whatever. But since I can't really necessarily tell fully if this is getting a laugh or I'm in a separate room than people and it's a you different- just keep going. Is a disconnect? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm trying a lot more things and it's a lot more freeing to, to experiment and say, all right, let me try this joke that I didn't really, you know, I, I told a joke that I didn't, I was like the other night that was not for a certain crowd that would never really work. Uh, I'm gonna, I can say it now and we'll see, but uh, people may hate this or whatever, but I said, you know, the idea of Rabbi Mayer Balanese is this idea that, you know, a Rabbi Mayer who we like, we would dive in that we hope if we lose a lost object that you, that you hope that he finds the lost, uh, that 
in his merit, you find the lost object. But I wonder, I always think like maybe Harvey Mayer was just great at finding other people's lost objects. And he was just like a little bit of a hoarder and like he came home and he's like, honey, guess what I found? And his wife's like, if it's five more single socks, I'm out of here. Like, and um, I have no idea if that's the OU listenership is gonna hate that joke, but I can't hear anybody laughing anyway. So if you hate it. Uh, I put myself I on mute just to, just to test you. Thank you. I, I resolve. I wanted to see if you were ready to uh, to take this joke all the way. But, yeah, thank you. I wasn't, but. Uh, what 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 joke have you most regretted telling? <laughs> oh boy. Right here, right now. Like. What's what? <coughs> um, what joke have I most regretted telling? <coughs> um, I don't know. I I I, the, I mean. I won't say regret telling, but there's stuff sometimes when like you ask like if I'm going to different areas and and I think there are times when I'm like pushing the envelope. I'm making jokes about the coronavirus a little bit, you know. I'm I'm, I'm mentioning it and I, I'm worried a little bit. I'm going to scare people or like offend people a little bit. Um, I say a lot of times when you perform for Jewish institutions, uh, they always ask you to do you know stuff completely like, hey, you know, uh, we can't really pay you, but uh, can you know they'll, they'll they they try to really like ask any way they can do they, they can and uh you know it's you gotta be you gotta be careful in this day and age because they say things like you know it'll be great exposure for you and i'm like uh bad choice of words um you know uh well, well your name will be spread very far no you'll go viral i'm like okay that's i don't think so um so that's probably a joke that i'll regret later um if that, if that qualifies uh, i i'm regretting it <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Ellie, <laughs> Ellie where uh, people who are watching and are falling in love, where do they find you? Or people that are hating me can message me also. Uh, people uh, want to yeah. harass you on the internet. How yeah, can I do that? You can find me at, on Facebook at Ellie Leibowitz, E-L-I-L-E-B-O-W-I-C-Z. Um, on Twitter, at Ellie Leibowitz, spelled the same way. On Instagram, Ellie Comedyogram terrible Instagram handle, I know. Or my website is elicomedy.com, um, E-L-I-comedy.com. Uh, and uh, feel free to reach out if you enjoyed. If you didn't enjoy, um, then say nothing. And uh, hope- uh, <laughs> Make your mom proud. Yeah, exactly. Just hope, hope uh, just get through this crisis on your own then. Um, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Feel better, Ellie. Thanks for coming by. Thank you, Rabbi. Thanks. Have a good one. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Join us tomorrow and the rest of the week at 9 p.m. weeknights, ou.org slash ou live. And remember to be in touch at ou live at ou.org. Uh, this is Rabbi David Pardo signing off. <laughs>